Welcome to Set Free 24-7. My name is Robert, and I am thrilled to have you on this journey through the message. Today, we're going to dive into Matthew 23, Jesus Exposes Religious Hypocrisy, teaching that true greatness comes through humble service. I think it's maybe time to rethink our ideas about leadership. Romans 5 is next, and that's going to bring some hope and joy, reminding us that through Jesus, we have peace with God, and troubles can even produce character and hope. Then we're going to rewind back to Psalm chapter 53. This paints a vivid picture of human folly. It's kind of a cheeky reminder that we all need God's guidance on the path of wisdom. And finally, we have Numbers chapters 12, 13, and 14. That's right. Buckle up for three chapters in Numbers. This is going to take us on a journey of faith with challenges and doubts in the wilderness, and it is time to trust in God's promises. So fasten your seatbelts as we embark on this adventure. Let's explore some personal victories here, some struggles, and let's remember what sets us free on this journey through the message. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And how are you today, wife? I'm doing great today. How are you? I am excellent. And today is a big day for you. And I love you so much. I just want you to know that I am so proud of you. Today is Heidi's ordination. She is going to be ordained as a chaplain through Central Bible Ministries in Grand Rapids. Yes. It's a ministry that we both sit on the board of. And at the beginning of this year, kind of about the same time that we started this podcast, Heidi just got the bug inside of her to start with doing classes through this little place called Christian Leaders Leaders. Institute. I think it wasn't a bug. I think God planted a seed and he really took care of it because it grew pretty big. And it was funny at the beginning of that whole process, Mm -hmm. I remember praying, if this is the right thing for her, just let her heart and mind be on fire. Yeah. And if it's not the right thing for her, please close all the doors so we can just move on to the next thing Mm -hmm. and get going, right? I know. And I could (laughs) see that on you. And and it didn't discourage me. And I understood it. Um, I've been seeking for God's plan for me for a while. And I think I was trying to make it look a certain way. And I went back and revisited this recurring thought and this drive and this push and I started to explore and in exploring that led me to Christian leaders Mm. and I enrolled there because it was one of those oh yeah this is going to be too good to be true and I'll prove prove that in a day or two yep I remember you were very Uh skeptical at the beginning very much so I mean we live in a world where oh yeah if it's free mm, yeah the quality is mm -hmm. terrible whatever so that is not the case and i will proudly say that uh, what i have is probably about the equivalent to a bachelor's degree so i have a bachelor's degree in chaplaincy but more important to me is the fact that i am going to be officially ordained tonight but christian leaders themselves already consider me ordained Mm. That means a whole lot more to me than a bachelor's degree. Yeah. So um, I'm going to do my very best to just soak up 
every single moment of tonight and what it represents. Um, I'm excited, but more than that, I am honored that God has gifted and called me to do this. And I'm very excited to see where it leads. Um, If anybody is wondering, my number one hope with this is that I will now be able to go inside jails and prisons. And that's really where my heart's been leading. So please pray over that, that the right doors will open, that I can get in and minister to people in significant stress and need. And so many are without hope and are broken and hurting. And I so badly want to sit with them. And the majority of those people all have some type of trauma that has led them into that place. So Mm -hmm. it's almost a teaching yourself, right, to look at that person as like what's behind those actions? What's right. behind take you being that out here? of the equation? Like, right, like you take it out. You robbing the store and whatever happened, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's that is one thing. But like, what happened before right. that? And they're like not, trying to understand that person and the trauma that they've right. had. They're not there because they had the best day of their life. Right. Things happen in people's lives and people get led or choose to go down certain paths. And I'm starting to find more and more that outside influences and environment and just a number of factors contribute to that. Mm. But at the heart of it all, God loves them. Yeah. God loves them as much as he loves me. Yes. Just the fact that they're sitting behind bars, and I'm talking about I don't everybody there. I don't care what they've done. I honestly, when I say that, I do not care yeah. what they have done. I want to talk with them. I want to talk God with them. I want to give them the chance to experience freedom, whether they ever walk out of that building or not. Mm-hmm. I want them to know what that is that true sense of freedom yeah because honestly in the big picture our life here on earth is so tiny in comparison to this life that's waiting for us yeah we just need to get through this part and god doesn't want us to just sit and moan and groan and oh i hope it ends quick and oh i just can't god doesn't want that we are to be joyful right here where we are in all the full circumstances And that means them sitting in prisons and jails, too. And I think they get, it's a segment of our population that's overlooked and neglected and forgotten because you don't see them. Yeah. And it's easy to forget. And and when you're in jail or prison, the thought that people are just out there living their life, they're busy, it's, it pervades, um, it's, And you almost excuse away like, I know they're busy. I know, you know, and so that you don't get angry at people because Mm -hmm. I found myself numerous times like getting so frustrated Mm -hmm. with why am I not getting a letter? Why are they not responding? Why are they not picking up my phone call when I call at all hours of the day? Like, come on. You know, you find yourself in that situation where your options are very limited and you're not surrounded by people who want the best for you most of the time. No. Um, the and, guards are just trying to keep you alive mm-hmm. and all of the people that you're doing time with are just trying to figure out 
some drama that they right. can talk about or mm-hmm. get into. I mean, you got to fill the time, time sometime. That idle time, I have seen it ruin people. It's because, destructive. Yeah. And I'm finding, and I can't get away from the conviction of this, that our American penal system is setting people up for failure. Mm-hmm. They just open the doors, boot them out when their time is up with their little paper bag, but they've been given no skills. There is no skills. There's nothing waiting for them on the other side. There's not a job readily available. Housing could be a nightmare. Yeah. If you can even scrape together enough money to. Yeah. First months, last months. People that are working full time can't even scrape up required money sometime to get a decent apartment, let alone even dream about housing, permanent housing, something that you own and can be proud of. I can't even imagine how defeating that must feel. Yeah. And it's my hope that I can do my little part to maybe start some changes. And that means not just in their minds. Mm -hmm. I need to change minds in society outside those walls. We need to do far better loving them, accepting them, and setting them up for success. Because as a society, isn't that better for everybody? Mm. Honestly, isn't that better? Yeah. It truly is. When you're setting someone up for success, mm-hmm. giving them the tools that they need yes, so that when they get out, they know this is what I need to do. These are the steps that need to be taken. And I've got a support system right. behind me that's going to encourage me, walk alongside of me, pray with me, love me, yes. encourage me, regardless of any other circumstances, mm-hmm. like when you have that stability, it's priceless. Yeah, it is. I'm going to do a gentle little challenge because mm-hmm. I like to do this. Sure. Um, to anybody listening, first of all, if you are a Christian business owner, I am going to challenge you to be first in line to say, I have a job for you. Mm-hmm. Just even if it's like, let's say you have a company that employs a hundred people consider even maybe starting with, I'm going to have 5% of them returning citizens, and I'm going to give them a chance. Um, And for churches, if your church doesn't have an active prison ministry, maybe gently challenge your leadership that you should be doing that, because God himself calls us to that. And um, consider it the mission field that's right Mm -hmm. in your own neighborhoods and in your own country. Let's stop spending so much money when we've neglected the people right around our own doorways. The people doing the hiring should really just take a moment Mm -hmm. and interview that person. Get to know like what happened, what led up to that, Mm -hmm. and what are you doing with your life now, today? Like what direction do you want to go? Right. What are your goals? What are your dreams? You know, when I got out of prison in 2015, Harvey Koning, who recently passed away, um, you know, he didn't give me the best job in the car dealership. He didn't hand me the keys to open up everything that was yep. there. But he sat down and talked to me and, and understood where my head was at. Right. And then gave me a job that had me working and working hard. I mean, yeah, I always say like, you know, clean in toilets for nine mm-hmm. bucks an hour. And that was part of my job. That wasn't mm-hmm. the only thing I was doing. But little by little, he started to give me more freedom, more right. responsibilities, and and encourage me in that growth. Mm-hmm. And people at the dealerships that I worked at saw that and that he was giving. Yes. So that in turn 
made them com- more comfortable, I think. Oh, for with, sure. Because they don't with know. Me and, and, yeah. Um, I would like people to get more comfortable. There's sure. just kind of this fear. And I think we really need to kind of work on that. But back to Harvey for just a moment. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy hearing that story and what you did there because while it may not have been a glamorous job, Harvey expressed without saying anything a trust in you by allowing you access to information that in your past would have been used for bad. Mm. And he trusted you. It's so crazy because um, there was a point in my life where I equated somebody's name, social security number, date of birth, all the Mm -hmm. sensitive information, right? I equated that sensitive information with cocaine or methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. That's how addicted I was to that. And to come out of prison and then realize that I had a key Mm -hmm. that went to this downstairs little basement storage area where they kept you know, it was a bunch of junk and stuff sure. down there, but there was rows and rows and rows of boxes of files, old records, old records that they had to keep. And I remember one time I just, I was walking up the stairs and I looked back mm. and I just thought there would be a time. There was a time in my life where I would have done everything in my power to shovel boxes and boxes and boxes Who out of here. Noticed Nobody would have known. I could have shoved files in my shirt or, you know, I was all day long coming in and out of that building with other boxes of stuff that needed to be thrown away. They wouldn't have questioned anything. Wouldn't have even been a thing. I literally had zero interest. Mm. None. What? You were such an utter disappointment to the devil. Do you know that? He was probably so excited with every step you took down in that basement. Mm. He knew what was sitting there. Sure. Yeah, I had none. I will admit, I will admit, I did open one box and I looked one time and I just, I did. And I said, I looked at one, I I pulled out one file. I don't know why I did this. If I was moving something and I just saw, um, but I remember I I pulled out one file and I looked at it and I was just like, yeah, there was a time in my life where (laughs) I would have, I would have done all sorts of crazy stuff with this. And I put the file back in the box and put the box back on the shelf. That's, that was a pivotal point for you. I don't know if you see it that way, mm. but just hearing that story, yeah. to me, that's a profoundly important yeah. point. I think you should remember that when you do your talks. Yeah, I just, I had zero interest because I knew it was so fresh in my mind where choices like that led me. Mm. Here I am, fresh out of doing five years in prison, two of them in the hole. You're ready to go back? and. And I knew if I even do anything remotely close to what I was doing, even if it was to just dabble, that it would lead me right back. Right. Right back into that. I'm thankful. I am. You wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't know you. Yeah. If you had made the other choice, I would not know you today. I know. I wouldn't be here today. Blessings of faithfulness. Yes. God, you're awesome. (laughs) Yes. Oh, let's read the Bible. Let's do that. Let's pray first. Mm -hmm. So, Father God, thank you for this beautiful day that you have made. Amen. Thank you for the fire that is inside of my wife Heidi's heart and her mind. Thank you for providing a way 
where we didn't have the resources to make that way. And you said, your heart is good enough and just show up and you made the way. So thank you, God, for making the way today. Thank you for making the way for so many people. And even in those times where we turn away, where we try to do things on our own, you wait patiently and you call us back as your child, as children of yours. You call us back gently. You never shame us. You never make us feel bad for the stupid things that we do. You draw us closer. And for that, we are grateful. We are grateful for your son that you sent for us. And we are grateful for this day that we get the opportunity to just be the hands and feet of the man who set us free. Such a good, good father. Amen to that. So, Father God, be with us today. Be with our listeners and uh, just inspire someone today to step out in faith and to just go where you are calling, Mm. to listen to that little call on their heart. Mm -hmm. So I ask this all in your holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Yes. I love that. Pray for all God's people to be yes people. Yes. Yeah. We need more yes people. Yes. Yes. All right. So Heidi, we are starting out here in Matthew. You're going to be, uh, this is a new chapter here, which Mm -hmm. we're doing chapter 23. We are. I'm reading chapter 23 verses 1 through 12. Eugene Peterson has titled this one Religious Fashion Show. So it looks like we're going to Fashion Week here. Let's see what he has to say. All right. I I knew you'd be into this, so (laughs) you'd have to know us to understand. So (laughs) Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with them. The religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polished veneer. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, They package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. Hmm. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher, and you are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Hmm. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You have only one father, and he's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them, Christ. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself— 
your life will count for plenty. The showiness of it all is what stood out to me with um, a... Sometimes I have felt that uh, people that do the long, long, long prayers. Oh, like the, like the <laughs> yeah. three lifesaver oh, prayers? Oh, man. Yeah. Um, and, it, and there's nothing wrong with talking to God in that way, but it sometimes can seem that it's done in a way that is... You had to fill in half an hour, so just right. start throwing a bunch of words. And, and it's elevating that when person. And watch checking by the person doing the prayer. Yeah. You're not sitting at the feet of God. Because I promise you, when you're sitting at the feet of God and you're talking to them, the idea of checking your watch never crosses your mind. Yeah. It just doesn't. What stood out to you in that in that section? I know that life that he's talking about. Mm. And for a while in my life, I tried very hard to live that one. You know, the rules, the regulations, the spit and polish veneer, the, you know, the prayer shawls and then the flowery prayers. But none of it is the meat and potatoes. None of it is the bread. None of it. Mm. It's just it's appearance in inside. It's really pretty ugly because there's an absence of love. You're not doing it out of just absolute love and devotion to our Father. Yeah. We're doing it out of a sense of this is required. And I really struggle with them saying that, well, we don't believe in works at all. Well, then what is all of this right. that you're holding people to? Yeah. What is that all about? And where is the personal relationship with God that he calls us to and he's waiting for? I keep going back to this thought over and over and over lately, and it's faith like a child, faith mm -hmm. like a child, faith like a child. And I couldn't understand why that kept sitting on my brain because I wasn't thinking about faith like a child. What I was thinking about is the fact that I need to be more knowledgeable. I need to study the Bible more. I have to be able to break it down. I have to make sure I have the right thing. I, I need to know the answers to all these questions. And it was all I, 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 yeah. I. And then the conviction hit. God called me to this, mm -hmm. not because I had that knowledge, but because I have the heart. And in the Bible, it says he cares about that. Yes. And as soon as that thought settled on my shoulders, part of me thinks it's my simplicity of faith. That is the reason he called me and the reason why I'll be able to talk with people. It's not going to be complicated when it comes to me because it's sure. love God with all your heart and love people the same as you love yourself. Yeah. Everything else hangs on that. If you're doing those two things. Yep. You don't need all those rules and laws and regulations. It's Correct. just going to happen because you're going to just be love personified. Yes. Oh, I just. Oh. Thank you for sharing that yes. about the faith like a child. Mm -hmm. That's a, it's a powerful reminder not to get too in our way because, right. um, yeah, there's times I think we can get so like digging into this, digging into that and trying to uncover all these things. And it's all things that really, at the end of the day, they don't matter. It's, you know, it's not a thing that your salvation, salvation hinges on. isn't hinged on it. You know. Salvation is hinged in. Do you love God with all your heart, mind and soul? Yes, I do. Yeah. My son died for you. Yeah. 
It's that simple because when you truly love God like that, your life will show it. Yeah. And that's all we are called to. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And we've made it so complicated. And I am here to push back against that. And it's time to bring back simple childlike faith because there's truly nothing more beautiful. Children aren't worried about all the different nitty gritty questions I know. and I know. and the proofs and the this and that and the arguing. They're just like, Jesus loves me. Yeah. I love God. It's, this I know. Yeah. For the Bible, Bible tells, tells me, me so. so. Yeah. So keep it simple. Amen. All right, the next section that we have, I'm going to be reading out of Romans. Oh, good. Chapter 5, verses 1 through oh, 11. I'm loving Romans. Romans has been good in the mm-hmm. message version. I, I I like how it's like just telling a story. It is. Yeah. It is. I was never strongly, I didn't like avoid Romans. Sure, yeah. Like I did maybe numbers and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, God. But... um. I'm really eager every time to hear more mm. in Romans. I look forward to it, and I've not been allowing myself to read ahead. Uh, I'm I'm just staying with this, and sure. I can't wait to hear what happens. So this is titled Developing Patience. Oh, no. I know. Yeah, something we all need a little bit more of. <laughs> if you knew me, you'd yeah. know it's not my, uh, that's not my number one gift. So, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we had always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles, because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything that God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person that's worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. (laughs) Now that we are set right with God by means of his sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. 
if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. And that's the end of Romans. I just feel like <laughs> celebrating it. I the know. End He's, there. I mean, it's just a happy verse or a happy uh, passage. Ah, uh, it's just so, it's how we should feel being Christians, no matter our situation. And as humans, I know, way harder yeah. to do than to say. But if we can honestly look at it and receive it as he gave it to us, the joy is just going to be there. It's it's what I tell everybody. They're like, it's always such a surprise to hear about your past, to mm-hmm. hear that you have some struggles in life. It just, yeah. you always seem so happy, so happy and always having so fun. I am happy. Yes. Look, let me tell you what God's done for me. Let me tell you. It's that inner joy that just can't, it can't be contained. It is. And the absolute fact that I know this isn't it. Yeah. This isn't even the good stuff. This isn't the good stuff. And I've gotten a lot. There is a slight pause here at the beginning. Uh, This is chapter five, verse one. It says, uh, having it all together with God. Uh, So we have it all together with God is the way that I've translated the phrase peace with God in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 that appears in other translations. So we have it all together with God, all right? So peace isn't the passive quality of not being bothered. It is the active life of being a participant in God's work in his creation. We say, give me a little peace to children who pester us. And we mean for them to stop their incessant interruptions and questions. Hmm. The peace the world gives, if it gives any at all, is a removal, a subtraction of something from us, what amounts to a diminishing of life. What Christ gives us is an intensification, an increase, an addition to the lives that we normally live. The kind of peace that Jesus offers is having it all together with God. (laughs) And when we have it all together with him, it paves the way to having it all together with ourselves and with others. I love it. Yes. Oh, Eugene, I can't wait to talk with mm. you. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. So, I yeah, it, uh, it. it definitely is having it all together with God yeah. is part of that element of joy. It's not so much, like you said, happy. And people see they, or they perceive happy. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily happy because we can still have many moments of happy, sad, oh, and frustration, I do. anger. I we have do. all of those range of mo- emotions. I have some hard things in my sure. life that are a constant. But the constant that you also have mm-hmm. with those hard things is that element of joy. Yes. Right? Like you know whose you are. I do. And none of this is for nothing. And none of this is for nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So that's, yep. that's where some of that joy that you have that is just... 
inescapable. It, it, it really is. I didn't understand it before. And um, I heard something, um, and I, I don't know for sure who I heard it from, so I won't even throw out the name mm-hmm. that I think. Um, so often people are like, I don't want to be a Christian. I mean, seriously, you have to give up so much, and it's just sacrificing, and... Uh, you know, I don't want to give up all my fun. And I heard somebody break down what the being dead to self actually means. Okay. And once I heard it, I was like, that's the most beautiful freeing thing I have ever heard. Because what is our self? We're full of fear, anger, malice, age, envy, jealousy. We're dying to those things. Yeah. We're saying those things don't take up residence in us anymore. Those are the things that you're, quote unquote, sacrificing. That's what you are giving up. You're not giving up a joyful life. Mm. You're giving up the things that steal your joy. You're giving up the things that take away your happiness and then become your little gods or any of that. That's dying to self. It's not that, oh, I want to willingly take on a life because I want to suffer every day. And I'm going to make sure people see me suffering. Yeah. I'm going to be this the cross. I'm going to be the I, best, yep. most defeated, sad Christian. Everybody's going to know how big my cross ever, is. That I'm carrying. I know. Around. I'm going to have splinters oh, pre-placed, yeah. and <laughs> my cross is going to be the biggest and baddest it ever did see. It doesn't mean that. Yeah. Because what happens when you let those things go? How are you feeling about being alive and living life when those things are absent? It's. Once I heard that, I'm like, there were so many things I was incorrectly taught. Because I lived with a bunch of unhappy, miserable, sober Christians. And my heart hurts for them. Because that's bondage. So I pray that they're freed from it. As do I. And now, friends, we are jumping in the Wayback Machine. That's right. It's time to rewind back to the Old Testament. Heidi's going to be picking up here with Psalm chapter 53 Mm -hmm. today. I like this one for a lot of reasons. So today just feels good. Does it? We're not done with numbers yet. So we've got a few chapters and numbers to roll on. So. Oh, all right. So God has humor. You just have to listen and then put the word picture together. So I won't tell you what this is saying, but listen to the words and figure out exactly what's being said. Psalm 53, bilious and bloated, they gas. God is gone. It's poison gas. They foul themselves. They poison rivers and skies. Thistles are their cash crop. God sticks his head out of heaven. He looks around and he's looking for someone not stupid. One man even, God expectant. Just one God-ready woman. He comes up empty, a string of zeros. Useless, unshepherded sheep taking turns pretending to be shepherd. The ninety and nine follow the one. Don't they know anything, all these predators? Don't they know they can't get away with this? Treating people like a fast food meal over which they're too busy to pray. I love that analogy Mm -hmm. because our society has become that, you know. Night is coming for them in nightmare, a nightmare they'll never wake up from. God will make hash of these squatters, sending them packing for good. Is there anyone around to save Israel? God turns life around. 
turned around, Jacob skips rope, and turned around, Israel sings laughter. The word pictures are pretty yeah. great all the way through this, even down to that God's going to make hash of these. Hash is made by shredding and dicing. I mean, it's yeah. utterly cut, chopped, sure, diced. And uh, the whole analogy of the the fast food meal, like, mm. but that's it's admonishing. If I if I'm looking at it the right way, it's admonishing leaders who are not taking care of their flock. Yes, like this is yes. being very pointed. Like you don't even have time for these people. Like you don't have time to pray for a fast food meal. Mm, I know you're not even like. What are you doing? You're leading people astray. The ninety nine are sitting there following this one who's leading them off a cliff. Mm-hmm. It's convicting for me. You know, and you say that, and it it truly is. That's stern warnings yeah. for leaders in what they're stepping into. And I'm sitting here going, I willingly said yes to that. And reading that just lays a sense of urgency and importance on making sure that I guard against yeah. that. Yeah. That I'm not afraid to speak out when it's not right. That I'm willing to take whatever fallout might come from that. Because God says, night is coming for them. And nightmare. A nightmare they'll never wake up from. And that's hell. Yeah. That's hell. And I want nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. So, man, I love the Psalms too. Yes, I just hey. love it all. All right, so now we are going to end the day in Numbers, and I'll be reading out of Numbers chapter 12, 13, and 14. We have a good little mix here, and I have a pause on a couple of the chapters that I'll be reading just to give a little bit of insight as to what's going on. So we're going to start out here with Numbers chapter 12. So Miriam and Aaron talked against Moses behind his back because of his Cushite wife. He had married a Cushite woman. They said, is it only through Moses that God speaks? Doesn't he also speak through us? God overheard their talk. Now the man Moses was a quietly humble man, more so than anyone living on the earth. God broke in suddenly on Moses and Aaron and Miriam saying, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. The three went out. God descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance to the tent. He called Aaron and Miriam to him. And when they stepped out, he said, Listen carefully to what I'm telling you. If there is a prophet of God among you, I make myself known to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But I don't do it that way with my servant Moses. He has the run of my entire house. I speak to him intimately, in person, in plain talk, without riddles. He ponders the very form of God. So why did you show no reverence or respect in speaking against my servant, against Moses? The anger of God blazed out against them, and then he left. When the cloud moved off from the tent, oh, Miriam had turned leprous, her skin like snow. Aaron took one look at Miriam, a leper. 
He said to Moses, Please, my master, don't come down so hard on us for this foolish and thoughtless sin. Please don't make her like a stillborn baby coming out of its mother's womb with half of its body decomposed. And Moses prayed to God, Please, God, heal her. Please heal her. God answered Moses, If her father had spat in her face, wouldn't she be ostracized for seven days? Quarantine her outside the camp for seven days. Then she can be readmitted to the camp. So Miriam was in quarantine outside of the camp for seven days. The people didn't march on until she was readmitted. Only then did the people march from Hazaroth and then set up camp in the wilderness of Paran. Does Eugene Peterson have anything to say about this? Because I have a question. He actually does have something to say about chapter 12. So let's see what he says in this pause here. We frequently find Moses portrayed as a man of violent and strong passions. In a sudden burst of angry indignation, he murdered an Egyptian. Day after day, he boldly faced the power of Pharaoh in hard-fought negotiations to set people free. In bitter exasperation, he struck a rock in the wilderness, and by that temper tantrum, he forfeited entry into the promised land. This is the man who is called humble. The word humble has lost its original force in English. When we think of someone who is humble, we think of a timid and mild person. But the ancients described a humble person as someone with enormous vitality who has been trained for service. A stallion trained for service is humble. An athlete disciplined for excellence is humble. Spiritual humility is the process of channeling energy into the work of God for others. And Moses, over the course of his life with God, learned to channel his vitality into disciplined service. Thus, Moses, the servant of the Lord, became a great example of humility, perhaps the greatest example until Jesus came. Like Moses, Jesus was described as a servant, humbling himself for our benefit. But there was nothing timid or mild about him. He stood up to hypocritical Pharisees the way that Moses stood up to hard-hearted Pharaoh. He, too, got angry, but he channeled his anger into making a whip that he used to drive out the money changers in the temple. He had enormous vitality, but channeled it into serving, humbling himself the way a servant would, becoming obedient. Rendering the ultimate service, dying a selfless, obedient death. And in so dying, he showed us how to live. I'm guessing that your question didn't get answered has something to do with Aaron. Yeah, sure does. And he why, got off scot free. Why did Miriam? They both talked, they both were called out. They both said the same thing. They both were punished by God, except only Miriam was. Aaron because didn't it, have anything happen it does to him. Say, they said, is it only through Moses that God speaks? Doesn't he also speak through us? And God overheard their, their talk. talk. 
Right. So that's going to go on my list of, God, can you please explain why a woman was given a deadly, gross disease and made to stay outside the camp and Aaron could waltz around with nothing happening? Those are the hard things. And I recognize that. And I have to learn how to answer those because that, to me, on the surface, that doesn't look fair at all. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Aaron gets to stand there going, oh, sure, glad I'm not her. And once again, it's like women are worthless, second-class people that are just like, well, I need Aaron, so I'll get rid of Miriam. I mean, it feels so awful as a woman. I don't. Mm -hmm. And this is just me being honest. I don't understand. I do not understand these things because on the surface, if this were to happen today, I'd be on my knees talking to God saying, this unfairness needs to stop. You said we're all equal. So what about this is equal? Yeah. It's not that it's his wife and he was going to take a wife. It was their sister. Yeah. They both were deserving of that, but not Aaron. Yeah. I need answers. God, please, can you give me some answers? Okay. All right. Next uh, is chapter 13. God spoke to Moses. Send men to scout out the country of Canaan that I am giving to the people of Israel. Send one man from each ancestral tribe, each one a tried and true leader in the tribe. So Moses sent them off from the wilderness of Paran at the command of God. All of them were leaders in Israel, one from each tribe, and these were their names. All right, here we go. (laughs) Show me some grace. From Reuben, we had Shemua, son of Zachar. From Simeon, we had Shaphat, son of Hori. From Judah, we had Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. From Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. From Manasseh, a Joseph tribe, Gadi, son of Susi. From Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali. From Asher, Sether, son of Michael. From Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vopshi. And from Gad, Gul, son of Maki. Nice. It's, I, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a hundred percent, but hey, I'm oh, I'm good you with are a passing coming grade. Coming along. I mean, well. if I can get a seventy percent or better on all this, I am good. So. Well done. These are the names of the men that Moses sent to scout out the land. Moses gave Hoshea, which means salvation, son of Nun, a new name, Joshua, which means God saves. When Moses sent them off to scout out Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and then into the hill country. Look the land over and see what it's like. Assess the people. Are they strong or weak? Are there few or many? Observe the land. Is it pleasant or harsh? Describe the towns where they live. Are they open camps or are they fortified with walls? And the soil, is it fertile or barren? Are there forests? And try to bring back a sample of the produce that grows there. This is the season for the first ripe grapes. And with that, they were on their way. They scouted out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. Their route went through the Negev desert to the town of Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, descendants of the giant Anak, lived there. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. 
When they arrived at Eskol Valley, they cut off a branch with a single cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry it, slung on a pole. They also picked some pomegranates and figs. They named the place Eskol Valley, Grape Cluster Valley, because of the huge cluster of grapes that they had cut down there. After 40 days of scouting out the land, they returned home. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told the story of their trip. We went to the land to which you sent us, and oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. Their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of that giant Anak. Amalekites are spread out in the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites hold the hill country. And the Canaanites are established on the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan. Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses, and said, Let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. But the others said, we can't attack those people. They're way stronger than we are. They spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other, and it's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. Why, we even saw the Nephilim giants, the Anak giants, come from the Nephilim. Alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. And they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. The Nephilim, those were when the angels came down to earth and married and had children with the women, correct? Correct. Am I correct on that? Okay. Yeah. And they were just big, supposedly big giant. Giant. Yeah. Right, right. Much more imposing presence than I think than Mm -hmm. just a regular human. So. Yeah, so no, according to the internet, and I know everything on the internet mm, is true 100%. in fact. Yeah. Yeah, they uh there are places that say my very strange O negative blood in my oddly colored blue eyes that science supposedly can't explain how blue eyes ever happened came from them. So I apparently I'm part angel. Does that mean all <laughs> Dutch people are part angel because of their blue eyes? Oh, don't even start that one. It's bad enough with the Dutch in their churches as it is. So we can't oh no. I think I just solved some problems. So. <laughs> we figured it out right here on this little podcast. I mean <laughs> uh, no, I read that in man in their attempt to uh figure things out and somewhere along the way somebody's like oh those must have been those uh come down to earth angel Mm. people descendants or something and i'm like maybe god just decided this is how i'm gonna look and what my blood type's gonna be my takeaway from chapter 13 is when we allow fear Mm -hmm. to come in how it can amplify something like I don't think that these people were necessarily 10, 12 feet tall and these huge, massive things, but the scouts that went there were so fearful that they made themselves smaller, which automatically made everyone else bigger because they didn't have, they just didn't have things in their place. They didn't have God. They weren't putting God Mm -hmm. first and they allowed that fear to amplify 
everything that was wrong. Right. So, right, right. oh man, their cities are fortified and, you know, man, they're going to defend and they've, there's so many of them and they're all huge and they look at us like we're grasshoppers. And so they had this lack of confidence, I think, in themselves because they weren't putting, like, they totally took God out of the equation. Say, they had no this confidence is God. in God. Right. This is God going for mm-hmm. you. You're not taking care of this. God's going to take care of this. You were just sent to scout. Right. So. so, and I agree, not everybody was huge, but there absolutely certainly were giants oh, sure. that lived yes. there. And yep. Goliath was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they truly were immensely huge people yep. by our standards. Now, they weren't 15 feet tall and aliens they were they were giants yep but there were very also very large things in there i mean it's right here in black and white that it took two people to carry a cluster of grapes now i go to the store and i can use two fingers to carry a cluster of grapes so how i mean i'm trying Uh to picture the vast size i i yeah yeah it's amazing but at the end of the day god promised that to them yeah and now they're all like nah, we're too small just grasshoppers we're, yeah. we're grasshoppers we'll just stay Never in the desert worked. yeah we'll go someplace else all right friends we're almost done here hang on here we go chapter 14 the whole community was in an uproar wailing all night long All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The entire community was in on it. Why didn't we die in Egypt or in this wilderness? Why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives and children are about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to Egypt and right now? (laughs) I mean, just... just, these people. Were right. you begging to go back to jail? Because it's just like, it's just too big out here. I oh, want to go back to jail. Lord have mercy. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Soon they were all saying it to one another. Let's pick a new leader. Let's head back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in front of the entire community gathered in an emergency session. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, Members of the scouting party ripped their clothes and addressed the assembled people of Israel. The land that we walked through and scouted out is a very good land, very good indeed. If God is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land that flows, as they say, with milk and honey. And he'll give it to us. Just don't rebel against God and don't be afraid of those people. Why, we'll have them for lunch. They have no protection, and God is on our side. Don't be afraid of them. But, up in arms now, the entire community was talking of hurling stones at them. Just then, the bright glory of God appeared at the tent of meeting. Every Israelite saw it. God said to Moses, How long will these people treat me like dirt? How long refuse to trust me? And with all these signs that I've done among them, I've had enough. I'm going to hit them with a plague and kill them, but I'll make you into a nation bigger and stronger than they ever were. But Moses said to God, the Egyptians are going to hear about this. 
You delivered this people from Egypt with a great show of strength, and now this? The Egyptians will tell everyone. They've already heard that you are God and that you are on the side of this people, that you are present among them, that they see you with their own eyes in your cloud that hovers over them, in the pillar of the cloud that leads them by day and the pillar of fire at night. If you kill this entire people in one stroke, all of the nations that have heard what has been going on will say, well, since God couldn't get these people into the land which he had promised to give them, he slaughtered them out in the wilderness. Now, please, let the power of the master expand enlarge itself greatly along the lines that you have laid out earlier when you said, God, slow to get angry and huge in loyal love forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. Still, never just whitewashing sin, but extending the fallout of parents' sins to children into the third and even the fourth generation. Please forgive the wrongdoing of this people out of the extravagance of your loyal love, just as all along, from the time that they left Egypt, you have been forgiving this people. God said, I forgive them, honoring your words. But as I live and as the glory of God fills the whole earth, not a single person of those who saw my glory, saw the miracle signs that I did in Egypt and the wilderness and who have tested me over and over and over again, Turning a deaf ear to me, not one of them will set eyes on the land I so solemnly promised to their ancestors. Not one, not one who has treated me with such repeated contempt will see it. But my servant Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me passionately. I'll bring him into the land that he scouted and his children will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are so well established in the valleys, for right now, change course and head back into the wilderness following the route to the Red Sea. God spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long is this going to go on, all of this grumbling against me by this evil-infested community? I've had my fill of complaints from these grumbling Israelites. Tell them, as I live, God's decree, here's what I'm going to do. Your corpses are going to litter the wilderness. Every one of you, 20 years and older, who was counted in the census, this whole generation of grumblers and grousers, not one of you will enter the land and make your home there. The firmly and solemnly promised land, except... For Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Your children, the very ones that you said would be taken for plunder, I'll bring in to enjoy the land that you rejected while your corpses will be rotting in the wilderness. These children of yours will live as shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years, living with the fallout of your whoring unfaithfulness until the last of your generation lies a corpse in the wilderness. You scouted out all the land for 40 days. Your punishment will be a year for each day, a 40-year sentence to serve for your sins, 
a long schooling in my displeasure. I, God, have spoken. I will most certainly carry out these things against this entire evil-infested community which has banded together against me. In this wilderness, they will come to their end. There they will die. And so it happened that the men that Moses sent to scout out the land returned to circulate false rumors about the land, causing the entire community to grumble against Moses. All of these men died. Having spread false rumors of the land, they died in a plague, confronted by God. Only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were left alive of the men who went to scout out the land. When Moses told all of this to the people of Israel, they mourned long and hard. But early the next morning, they started out for the high hill country, saying, We're here. We're ready. Let's go up and attack the land that God promised us. We sinned, but now we're ready. But Moses said, Why are you crossing God's command yet again? This won't work. Don't attack. God isn't with you in this. You'll be beaten badly by your enemies. The Amalekites and the Canaanites are ready for you, and they will kill you. Because you have left off obediently following God, God is not going to be with you in this. But they went anyway. Recklessly and arrogantly, they climbed to the high hill country, but the chest of the covenant and Moses did not budge from the camp. The Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came out of the hills and attacked and beat them a route all the way down to Hormah. And that, my friends, is the end of Numbers. There was a couple little pauses here, Mm -hmm. one from chapter 13, just a quick thing. It's titled, A Different Way of Looking at the World. Faith has to do with marrying the invisible and the visible. When we engage in an act of faith, as Caleb did, we give up insisting that head knowledge is our primary means of understanding. Faith isn't a conclusion that we come to simply on the basis of what we see. It's a conclusion that we come to on the basis of who God is. And that fusing of the visible and with the invisible gives us a different way of looking at the world around us. It's often said that living by faith is a risky way to live. What isn't so often said is that living by sight has risks too, even greater risks. As the story of Joshua and Caleb unfolds in Numbers 13 and 14, we find that the greater danger wasn't living by faith, but by living by unbelief, the way that the rest of the nation lived. Mm. And then for chapter 14, it says, Underestimating God and Overestimating Evil. (laughs) In order to be equipped for what God calls us to do, we need to know two subjects in great depth, God and the world. In both subjects, appearances are deceiving. When we look at these two subjects with unaided eyes, we often underestimate God and we overestimate evil. We don't see what God is doing and conclude that he's doing nothing. We see everything that evil is doing and think it's in control. This was the error of ten of the twelve spies who explored the promised land and brought back their report to the people. 
And it can become our error, underestimating God and overestimating evil, if we're not careful. That's why we need our eyes open to see beneath the surface, the way that the eyes of Elisha's servant were open when he was terrified by the forces of evil surrounding him. Mm. And that's the end of our reading in Numbers today. Whew, you get quite a chunk of reading in that Numbers That was a little chunk of reading, I know. Yeah. So... What did you take from chapters 13 and 14? Trust God. Hmm. If he brings you to it, trust bring him. you through it. Yeah. Trust him. The There's price a saying that paid. goes, uh, he didn't oh. bring you this far just to leave you here. No. I know. <laughs> and it just, I'm always left just amazed at how us tiny little humans sit here and whine and complain and it's impossible and wah, wah, wah. we want to go back to Egypt. From what I remember, things were pretty horrific in the way you were treated. You were slaves. Mm-hmm. Your children were mm-hmm. slaves. Your wives were slaved. It was abject misery how they were forced to work for them. Sure. But they were ready to elect somebody else who's going to march their happy little buns right on back to Egypt. I'm trotting in like, we're back. And <laughs> just hey. like, is hey. Goshen still open? Sorry oh. about your firstborn. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know those plagues. <laughs> that were whole firstborn but... thing. Sorry about that. Yeah, we'll we'll go build some pyramids and whatnot yeah. for you. But yeah, I can't imagine them returning. The face of God. Oh, would have been, I mean... You just got done plaguing us. Like, <laughs> oh, everybody got drowned in the yeah. Red Sea. Do you think they're going to welcome you with open arms? I mean, so many of the Egyptians were slaughtered because of you. Yeah. How many men were lost in the sea? And I find it just absolutely amazing because I was doing some research and some studying, and they have found just so many remnants of bones and chariots. Mm. In that body of water. Mm. <laughs> how'd they get there? We kind of have how they got there right sure. here. And yeah. um, I just, I, I'm like, oh, God. How do you put up with us? I mean, honestly, yeah. how in the world... Because we look at we look at this now and we're just we're like, oh, those people, how could they ever? How could they turn away from God? He's doing all these miracles for them. But what do we do? Mm -hmm. Almost on a daily basis. Same thing. We turn away from God, maybe not in as big and as big a ways that are here in the Bible, but we still turn. Yeah. We still do our thing. We still don't trust him. We still don't trust him to take us through things we still believe lies yes we still all of those things so we're doing it on a different scale or it maybe just looks a little different maybe we have I a think different it label looks on different it. because of context and mm-hmm. culture so we wouldn't find ourselves sure in that situation but what we do in my mind it's just as big mm-hmm. anytime you turn your back on god there's no varying levels of that was a really bad turn your back on God. That was a minor Not turn so your bad. back. Sure. It's all the same. And we do it over and over and over. And it's easy for us. We Americans are we're wealthy. We have so much. I did this. I accomplished this. I was successful. Yeah. When every 
penny came from God. That job came from God. Your sure. mind came from God. All of it. Yeah. But we take the credit. Can't be God. We pray all the time asking for things and we get it. And it's like, oh, I worked so hard to get that. No, dummy. God <laughs> gave that to you. You just had answered prayer, but we're so small-minded. Yeah. And yet God sees us and says, those are my children and I sure love them. Yep. Mm. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And, th- and, and thank you for not being too terribly angry with me, God, for not understanding chapter 12. And It's a legitimate, so. uh, you know, I was actually, as I was reading it, I was surprised. Mm-hmm. I was I was wondering, I was like, where is Aaron's punishment for that? I know. I, I'm my mind. I'm I'm like it's literally racing trying to see this from all sure. the directions. I'm I'm like culture and context, culture and context, culture and context. But all the way from the beginning, it talked about them both doing the exact same thing. Right. But she's given a death sentence, and Aaron got nothing. And I just I can't even. All it says to me is women were expendable and didn't have value, but men did. And that's not true. Right. And God didn't see women as worthless. He's never seen women as worthless. So it looks like we have some exploration to uh, do during the week, like I trying know. to drill down the what, why here. Ordain you know. Chaplain Me is going to start some studying. I'm going to see if I can um, find any answers. I know there's been other passages that I've tried to find answers for, and all I got gotten was very educated guesses. Yeah. And I had a wonderful pastor I found on the internet that's actually from New Zealand and we were chatting back and forth about it and he was trying to help me find the answers. And at the end of it, he said some things we do not have an answer for. Yeah. He goes on the surface, I completely understand how you feel the way you do. Sure. But he says what matters to me is that you know the unending, limitless love Mm -hmm. of God for you. And I'm like, why am I so stuck on that? I'll have all the answers someday. Why am I so stuck? God loves me endlessly and limitlessly. So explain to me me. how that's less. He loves you, Mm -hmm. and he loves that one person that's listening right now. Is it you? Yes. I bet you it is. Yes. I know it is. Yeah. And you over there listening. And you over there. You in the car. You on the couch. You with your coffee. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you, the one that's making the list of all the things that are wrong with Mm. you and how awful you are and worthless you are. Guess what? He loves you. God really loves you a lot. And he really wishes you'd put that pen down and stop making those lists because he doesn't see what you're seeing. So on that note, friends, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this journey through the message today. We appreciate you choosing to take a little sliver out of your day yes, and go on this ride through the Bible with us together. We are so blessed by this, and we hope that this episode has been a blessing to you as well. Yes. So friends, thanks again for joining us today on this journey through the message. We appreciate you. And if this episode has been a blessing to you, a free way that you can support our podcast is by hitting that like button. And if it's been a blessing to you in some area, maybe it could be a blessing to someone else. Tell them about Mm -hmm. it. Share it with them. We would be happy 
to join them along whatever area of that journey they're on as well. We love meeting people wherever they're at on that road. So friends, thanks again for joining us today. Have a great day. Have a great week. And we hope that you were blessed today. And thanks again for joining us on this journey through the message. Thank you, everybody, for being with us today. One final thing from me. I ask those of you who pray just to cover me in prayer and to keep my mind focused on God, that I am pursuing what he has called me to and pray that I am protected from anything that would steer my brain to arrogance or a feeling that I am doing these things because all I hope to do I hope to do because of God through Mm. me. So just pray that God works mighty things through me and keeps me from any pride at all because it's all God. Humility like Moses, right? Oh, he's, well, the way you described it, that's like, wow. That's that's the kind of humility you want. I know, interesting. But I covet those prayers and that truly would, I mean it when I say that would mean Mm. so very much I'm about to step foot in a whole brand new journey on the other side of things and i feel the weight of what it is to be called by god into a ministering position so we appreciate your prayers in that aspect and also if you need prayer for any area of your life don't hesitate to reach out to us on private messenger or in the comments we would be happy to walk that journey with you it'd be our honor it would be so friends have a great day have a great week and we will see you next time on this journey through the message bye